really special interview uh, today. I'm here with Jamel Hill, who is the host of the Unbothered podcast, um, also known for ESPN, and just just some great work out in uh, the general community. And I want to welcome her to my show today. How are you, Jamel? I'm well. Thank you for having me. That's my pleasure. And and we're specifically talking uh, today about uh, your article that you wrote um, about a comment you made several years ago. Um, while in a joking matter, I believe, um, it came out in a different way and you had an experience. So why don't you sort of share with the audience a little bit about that article, about that tweet, and then what happened and what, what drove you to write this important article that uh, in light of sort of Deshaun Jackson and Stephen Jackson and others' uh, comments. Um, okay, yeah, uh, to clarify, uh, it wasn't a tweet. It was actually something I wrote in a column that okay. appeared on ESPN.com. This was 2008. And I was covering the Lakers-Celtics finals. And the column was basically my whimsical take on the fact that the Celtics, who I had hated as a child because I grew up in Detroit and <laughs> being a big Pistons fan, and the Celtics were the ones who stood in the way before we experienced a lot of success in the late 80s and the early 90s. So this is a team, you know, that you just had to hate if you were from Detroit. And... um you know, I know a lot of fan bases hated the Celtics, but it was particularly <laughs> close uh, uh, with Detroit just because they were the, the reigning, you know, kings of the Eastern Conference. So uh, the Celtics were, uh, they went from being kind of this hated team to being more beloved, I think, um, when they had Ray Allen and Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett and Rajon Rondo. Uh, suddenly, even some of the same fans uh, that were also Pistons fans, um, I saw them sort of rooting for this team, which I found to be abhorrent. Like, no, we can never root for the Celtics, even if you do like many of these players. And so I, in a very poor attempt to be funny, I wrote in this column that rooting for the Celtics was like saying Hitler was a victim. And it was something that immediately drew like instant that you know anybody who's a writer you know there's an editing process there's editors that, that look after it and then it doesn't the column doesn't publish itself but nevertheless I was not going to take the easy way out of blaming an editor or blaming the person who posted it um, for all the the backlash it received because I wrote it it was still my word so um, you know I, I took full accountability for it it's an incident I often talk about when I go talk to younger journalists about um, being careful, not just with their words, but understanding the sensitivity in certain matters. And clearly my sensitivity with this name in particular was not where it needed to be. And um, so I was suspended, you know, I got suspended for a week and um, there was a lot of vitriol from Boston fans, understandably so, to compare them to a very heinous dictator uh, like a, uh, Adolf Hitler. And it was a real teachable moment for me um, because I think what had happened in my case. I mean, I, I certainly was never any uh, one of these people who denied the extensive amount of pain and suffering and the and the genocide committed on Jewish people uh, in the Holocaust and beyond. I was not a denier at all. But I think what happens is that sometimes you can have cultural blind spots to other groups um, that you aren't even aware of, that you essentially don't give other marginalized groups the same amount of sensitivity that you would want for your own group and often rail against. 
right? So um, it was a good learning lesson for me. It was one of the most, if not the most embarrassing moment of my career. Um, and despite the embarrassment and again, the backlash, I'm happy to have had it. So I took all of that experience, what I went through in 2008, and I brought it to the column I wrote about Deshaun Jackson, because I realized, although what he did, if you want to compare them, yes, what he what he posted was much more egregious than me making an insensitive joke, but I nevertheless felt like it came from the same place where it's not just a cultural blind spot, but it is it's a dangerous game what I see people do often when they want to play the oppression Olympics. And um, when you start doing that, you start um, taking on the traits of people who frankly exert that oppression upon you. You know, it's, it's an old adage I read a long time ago that the oppressed sometimes take on traits of the oppressor. And one of the things that I have definitely seen happen in our community as in the African-American community, that there is a certain amount of tolerable anti-Semitism that goes on in our community um, that is built around this concept and notion of one, historical inaccuracy for sure, um, because a lot of these things that Deshaun Jackson was repeating were things that were inaccurate that he was getting from a particular place. And I've seen the same thing that he says circulated among other folks and um, it is this continual misinformation, misunderstanding of history, and frankly, um, this arrogance as if people uh, in present day can, just by reading a couple passages, understand thousands of years of, of history and texts that um, have been debated for I don't know how long, and to act as if um, we can just kind of, as interlopers, drop in and suddenly be knowledgeable about the origins of uh, Judaism is really, I think, being um, going a little bit beyond your scope. And so, um, so yeah, I mean, that was kind of the, the genesis of why I decided to write this column. Yeah, so we, I want to come to an uh, interview you did recently with Ice Cube. So I've been following this story. It means a lot to me, and I, we'll talk about this in a moment. And not just because I'm Jewish, but because I, I never until recently saw these cultural blind spots that you're saying um, in my own life. Um, that's not to say I didn't think there were cultural things that I did not understand. Of course, that would be stupid to say that I understand everyone's culture equally because um, I don't live in everyone's culture equally. Mm -hmm. um, so, so, you know, I think we have this idea in Judaism called tshuva, which is repentance. We have a day of atonement um, where we really repent for our sins and we do believe that people can get better. That's, that's why like, Jews aren't very big on cancel culture uh, because we believe that like you can by accident or un with, with ignorance tweet something and repent for it. We, we do believe that. Um, and so I, I've seen sort of apologies from Nick Cannon, from, from uh, Deshaun Jackson and, and others. Um, I, I listened to the, your, your interview with Ice Cube and I, I noticed two different things. First of all, I don't believe he really ever that he was sorry, um, and maybe maybe I missed it, or maybe my, I have blinders on. Um, he made reasons uh, for why he said what he said, or or tried to put it in a new context, which was hard for me to hear um, because I, I'm willing to accept someone's apology. And, and number two, especially over words, uh, number two is um, what he did say, which I think is a big part of the conversation, is that like his friends know who he is, right? 
And that's true. Like we don't know nuance, right? A, a tweet or even an article, we're often saying this person's wrong or this person's right without sort of, and I've had this experience as a writer too, being called out for like, I'm like, there's one word that you didn't like in 12 minutes of a, of a, of a, of a speech. Uh, okay, I'm sorry, you know, right? So, how, so where is that gap in terms of what someone means to say and sort of an apology uh, and making and, and making it like, I, I think, I don't know if you saw Julian Edelman's sort of response to, that was powerful, which is like, it was. let's get to know each other. And right. uh, yeah, so, we're, so do, do we, do we, you know, I can accept Deshaun Jackson um, very much so his apology. And, and I, I'm struggling more with like Ice Cube who, who and, and Steven Jackson, right, who was on the ground here doing incredible work. And I was like, wow, I never thought this shot, I would ever say that Sean, that Steven Jackson was this great, you know, he was, his NBA career was surrounded with uh, not such pleasantries like knowing him as the greatest guy in the world. And here he was. And I was like, really shocked. And then he went off and said these things about about Judea, Jews, and I don't know. I'm 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 more struggling with with that. And how do how do I, or how would you reckon reconcile some of those those feelings? So um, this is going to sound like a really bad analogy, but that's clearly not going to prevent me from using it anyway, right? Okay, fair. So I compare it to when I hear um, people talk about what they like about Donald Trump, right? And because I'm often confused. Or actually, I will just use him as an example, just period. I won't even get into his supporters. So a lot of people, because they saw Donald Trump taking photos and being friends with, you know, many different ethnicities, um, with Jewish people, with Black people. I mean, he was given an award at one point, I think, by the NAACP, and challenged up with Jesse Jackson. And there are many people who have asked, how does it go from that, this picture of Donald Trump who was referred to constantly in rap lyrics by other rappers, um, right. who became a bit of a cultural touchstone to some degree. How does he go from that to what we see today? And I explained to people, I called it the South Pizzeria Syndrome. And if anybody seems to do the right thing, there is this really poignant scene between uh, uh, John Turturro and Spike Lee. They're in South Pizzeria, uh, which is uh, Sal is played by Danny Aiello. And Got to a tutorial on the phone after getting off the phone with a frustrated customer just blatantly says the n-word like no big deal and spike lee just pulls him aside and said i don't understand you all the when it comes to pop culture and sports all the people you like are black you like magic johnson you like prince you know i don't get it but yet on a day-to-day -day basis this is what you think of us and so the reason I bring this up as an analogy is because there are people who would never consider themselves to be, to have these uh, cultural blind spots or to be anti-Semitic because who wants to be anti-Semitic? Nobody's signing up for that. Nobody wants to be racist. And yet um, they will even have friendships uh, uh, with Jewish people or black people, people from different multi-ethnic groups. But yet when you actually talk to them about what are their overall beliefs from a wider scope about these uh, particular groups, they will very easily say something racist. And it's like, wait a minute, you know these people, you know them in real life, okay? You know who they yeah. are. I don't understand why you don't make the connection. And so it's very easy for 
Ice Cube or Steven Jackson to say, no, I am not anti-Semitic. Ice Cube's business partner is Jewish, okay, for the big three, all right? And he's thinking, like, why would anybody call me this? Well, it happens very easily, I think, um, because there is a lack of understanding about Jewish history. Just from the simple fact, we'll just take Hitler, a very basic one that everybody should know. I don't know why Deshaun Jackson thought any conversation that starts with a Hitler quote, even if it was real, <laughs> would ever be a starting point for any conversation. The The other thing is that they don't understand that the stereotypes that they just say about Jewish people are the same stereotypes of which um, Hitler used as a rationale to persecute Jews. That is the connection that people don't make. Because I saw Meek Mill tweet something, um, the rapper Meek Mill, that was really interesting and gets to this point. He, um, he tweeted something along the lines, I think it was either, he, I'm pretty sure he was talking about Deshaun Jackson. He was like, um, no, it wasn't Deshaun Jackson, sorry. He was talking about a lyric that 21 Savage was um, being asked about, um, an anti-Semitic Semitic lyric where he said, get out here getting that Jew money. And uh, Meek Mill was like, I don't understand how this is anti-Semitic. I wish our race was known for getting money. I wish our race was known for you know, being moguls and this and that. He was, he was like, I don't understand it. This is a positive, this is a positive thing. The reason he said that is because he doesn't know the history of the Holocaust. He doesn't know about how harmful and dangerous these tropes and narratives are. Seemingly, he thinks it's a great thing to be known as having, a, um, you know, culturally being associated with being money, being rich and the Rothschilds. He thinks this is great. I'm like, but he hasn't done his homework. And what I found is that a lot of the ignorance that I see in our community is just that. That doesn't make it easier to take. That doesn't make it easier to hear. I'm not asking Jewish people to be tolerant of it, but it literally is from a lack of information. Um, whereas I think there are other instances where there is friction between certain groups where that's not just a lack of ignorance, where it's just a meanness and a spite and a disrespect that that, 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 that is there. I don't think that there is some blatant level of disrespect or disregard that black people have for Jewish people. I think most of the things I hear them repeat are absolutely from a lack of information. Okay, so that that's great segue. And I, a, um, I, I, um, growing up, I, I, as I told you earlier, I grew up going to only Jewish schools until um, college. Um, it actually is, uh, it was very random. Like it, my parents weren't the most religious by any means, but they just, it's just something that happened in a very uh, sort of serendipitous way. Um, obviously it led me to be a rabbi, but um, growing up, there were like three or four pictures that were just, you know, etched in stone in my head or ingrained in my head. And some of those are with Israel. Some of those are sort of like um, Jewish belief, but one of those was, um, Abraham Joshua Heschel and Dr. Martin Luther King arm in arm marching together. And, and the famous quote from Heschel is, today I, I pray with my feet, okay? And, and that he was gonna march. And, and so it, it almost always felt to me like there was a certain connection between the black community and the Jewish community because while our experiences are different, the word persecution pops up when you, when you, when you refer to both of us. M maybe that's in different places, maybe that's culturally different, maybe those persecutions were different, but the overarching theme of being kept down for some sort of foreign idea, idea of what a human being should be, uh, which is gross and sick, 
I felt always bonded us. And, and it was over the last couple um, weeks or months in which there were several incidents in which I, I, I felt for the first time in my life, wow, there's a gap. I don't know what the answer is. Uh, I, I mean, I have my own ideas, but, um, you know, so, so if I can speak about the Jewish community, I, I think that Jews are doing their best to respond. I think Jews, um, as they can in terms of their own insular communities, I think Jews have, um, were very present arm in arm, at least in Minnesota, uh, whether it was vocally um, or social media, or was it present at the marches? And the marches are, uh, or the protests, the protests are very complicated, obviously, with coronavirus. So um, that made it, uh, I think, for a lot of people, that was a big discussion, like, what do we do? I mean, what does everyone do? So, so we're, you know, what can we do to sort of bring these groups together, at the very least, for what you are advocating for, which is a better understanding and education. Well, I think you just hinted on something important, um, is that that allyship has to be present, and it has been, so that's not suggesting it wasn't. And, you know, I think you would probably not be that surprised by the number of, of African Americans who do not know the history of Joshua Heschel and him marching with Dr. King in Selma, because one of the constant narratives that has unfortunately been weaponized in our community is that Jews uh, finance the slave trade. And you will hear this repeatedly. I have heard this throughout my entire life. And that's a very dangerous um, um, assertion to continue to repeat. This is not to say that Jews are uninvolved in the slave trade, but it is to say it's weaponized in a particular way. First of all, the world practiced slavery, okay? The entire world practiced slavery. America invented racialized slavery, all right? And so, um, because I've heard Farrakhan say this many times about the Jews financing slave trade, which when he says that, he knows what he's doing, because what he also does not talk about is the numerous, um, uh, the numerous Jews who also supported and um, were actively involved in trying to end slavery, right? So right. he never says that part. He only says the part that is more advantageous to the message that he's trying to preach, if you will. And so that is always sort of my problem with how, especially today with the internet, about how information can be weaponized. But I think the more that most, um, you know, Black people see other marginalized groups being there to um, stick up for um, injustice on their behalf, because we found that has always been a problem that a lot of groups, um, and especially groups that have a certain amount of privilege, um, because, you know, to, to, I guess, fully have the robust discussion about um, why there seems to be some lack of misunderstanding between our communities is also, um, you know, to talk about how there is a sense, I think, on our behalf that there's a lot of white Jews who engage in white privilege when it's convenient. And um, that has also created some tension, I think, to some degree. Um, but... I, I do think the, the showing up and being present is very, very important um, on both sides, very important because I'm, as I, the, the feedback that I received from the column, I was really humbled and grateful and um, it meant a lot to me that so many people in the Jewish community reached out to me and said how much they appreciated that I wrote that. I mean, we all know as being in marginalized groups, it's never easy to criticize your own community. It's just not. Right. And so um, I think by doing that, I wanted to show 
um, you know, people in the Jewish community that it was completely my and if that meant that I would have to, you know, take a stand, uh, unpopular stand, maybe within my own community, then that's what it meant. You know, I wasn't going to run from that. So I think this is part of how the problem gets solved is that there has to be mutual, mutual allyship on both parts. Yeah, I, I agree. I think breaking bread is the biggest thing. Like, I think we should just have meals and meals and meals together <laughs> and, and, and talk it out and, and bring different um, uh, dishes and, and things like that. Um, uh, and uh, I, I think that's incredibly important because when you, when you sit down and know the other person, you have a much better experience with them going forward. Sadly, my conversation with Jamal got cut off before we could talk sports. But the main issue of being allies for each other and our cultural blind spots was at the forefront of our conversation. How can we be better allies? How do we understand the story of the person next to us? How do we look at each other as friends as, as opposed to foes? How do we unite instead of divide? And it's important to keep learning, to keep having these conversations. I want to thank Jamel for her time, check out her Unbothered podcast, and of course the great interview she's done all over uh, YouTube and a variety of different media outlets. And I want to thank Todd Kessler for the music. As always, this was the Religion of Human Nature podcast, and I'm your host, Jeremy Fine.